All right, well, I thought tonight, I'm feeling rather at home here tonight. I hope you don't mind. But I feel like amongst family here. So I thought I might just share with you something that I think actually might speak prophetically, hopefully, into this church, but not just into this church, but into you individually. I mean, they go hand in hand. Amen. It's a terrible thing to think that you're a part of a church and, you know, the anointing that's not on, that, that the anointing that's on the church is not in you. It should be in you. You know, I always say what walks in the Father should run in the family. Amen. And, and one thing I've learned, too many people can kind of live what I call a borrowed faith mentality. And the borrowed faith mentality is, I believe God can heal you because I saw God heal this person. I believe God can heal you because I see in our church, God does that. Or I believe God can bless you because I've seen God bless others. But the truth is, if it's not living and working in you, it's borrowed faith. And, and borrowed faith ministers a principle without any life or authority. So the principle's real. I mean, think about the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. I love those, those seven sons. You know, here they are. They're just, they're demon chasing. They're Pentecostals. And uh, they, they, if in doubt, cast it out. You know what I mean? And, and, and they found this guy who had a demon, just one guy, had a demon. And of course, the New Testament church was, you know, all about blowing up with signs and wonders and miracles. And these seven, how many think if there were seven of you and one of the other guy, the odds are in your favor? But they ministered out of borrowed faith. Now remember, borrowed faith ministers a principle without any life or authority. So they found this guy who was demon-possessed, and they walked up to him and said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, now realize there's no anointing, no confidence of themselves here, in the name of Jesus, know there's power in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So here are these seven scans. We've seen Paul do this, so we're going to give this a go. But there's no anointing, no faith, no authority in their own lives. They said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, we command you to come out. Now, the devil in the man says to these seven brothers, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? Now, that's not good news when the devil doesn't know who you are. I don't recognize any authority. You're using words and names of people I know who have authority, but who are you? And literally read your Bible. This one man beat the tar out of seven brothers, stripped them all naked. How strong can you be that you can overpower seven brothers and strip them naked? You with me here? And I, I just believe the gates of the city that, you know, what is on your pastors, without a doubt, is going to get in you in Jesus' name. And, and the, the, the anointing, <clears throat> the faith, the authority that God has for this church. Let me tell you something. It's very important that it's not just we love gates of the city, we love our pastors, but it's something that's real and alive and active in you. Can you say Amen. You know, sometimes as a pastor of a church, think, how can two people attend the same church and be so different? One so full of faith and the other one so fearful. You know what I mean? One person receiving breakthroughs and the other one, you know, not, you know. And there's times and seasons, but I'm talking about over the long haul of our lives. So tonight, here's, my, here's what I want to share. I feel like it's a prophetic word. So here we go. Are you ready? Come yeah. on, you ready? Yeah. All right, so... So now you're in your building. How many think it's exciting that you're in your building? And I congratulate you 
for finally seeing that day come in Jesus' name. I also commend your faith and patience because I know it didn't happen overnight. You have me here? But here you are, and here's the challenge. Now what? And I just feel the Lord told me to tell you, you've only just begun. That actually don't have this sense of we've arrived because we're in the building. Because the truth matter is the purpose of the building is to do more than you've ever done before. And let me just say this to you. The devil hates it when churches take land. The devil hates it when the church grows. The devil hates it when churches build buildings. Because you know what happens when you build a building? You're saying to the community, you're here to stay. And it's one thing to get started. I know you guys are looking for your own building now. It's one thing to get started in a movie cinema, and that's awesome. But it's another thing when you start taking land and territory. Come on, someone say amen. Because you're saying to the community, we're here for good. We're not going anywhere. And there's something about the body of Christ. When we say to our city, when we say to our community, the, the bride of Christ is alive, she's beautiful, she's strong, she's influential, she's 24-7, she's not going anywhere. Amen. And I just love that about God. I believe in landscape evangelism. I really do. I think everything about the church ought to be evangelistic. I said to her, now, of course, our, our youth team, I expect them to, to grow a youth group that grows the church, the children's ministry, to grow a youth ministry that grows the church. Don't just depend on me growing the church. We all grow the church. Amen. Our worship team have the kind of worship where other musicians and singers hear about it, want to come to Wave Church because they hear about the presence of God, the anointing, the excellence on the music. Amen. The preaching team, they better bring the goods. But I actually say even, even our lawn and maintenance department should be growing the church. You say, how can we do that? That we would have such great lawns, such well-trimmed trees, that people who drive past go, I want to go and check out that church. There's just something about it. And do you know, that's exactly what happens now. We literally have people who love trees and lawns and, and, and they go, we want to go check out the church because here's, here's, the, here's the thought. You ready for this? When God made food for Adam, listen to what he did. It says when Adam saw it, it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. And I thank God that God, when he made food for you and I, it wasn't just a practical function. It was good to eat. But it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God cares as much about aesthetic beauty as he does form and function. Come on, someone say amen. And you guys have built a fantastic building that's pleasing to the eye and it's practical and it's form and function. But please don't feel like you've arrived. You've only just begun. Somebody say amen. And the devil hates it. And so I just want to say, you know, thank God that for God, it wasn't just the form and function that mattered to him. He cared about how it looked. He cared. I believe in architectural evangelism. I believe that everything, every ministry of the church ought to be reaching lost people. There ought to be something about attractive about the body of Christ. We ought to wear God well in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and I was talking to your pastor just today. We're driving up the driveway and he's already telling me all the plans he has for, for the entrance now. And I love to hear that because you can have an entrance or you can make a statement to your community. Come on in. Check us out. Have a look what the Lord's doing. 
Amen? And so here's, here's a couple of thoughts I want to give you. So here's, just as I was praying about what to share tonight, I was just thinking about Israel. And I was thinking about how God wanted to get Israel out of Egypt. He wanted to get them out of a place of slavery. He wanted to get them out of a place that God never destined them to be. And I was thinking about your church and thinking about how God wanted to get you out of rented facilities into your facility. Amen? Where you are the head and not the tail. Amen? You're above and not beneath. I don't know about you, but I like, about, I like being about what the head's all about. God says you're the head and not the tail. You see, at the head, there's eyesight. There's vision. At the head, there's hearing. At the head, there's speech. At the head, there's smell. At the head, there's taste. There's not a whole lot of exciting business happening at the tail. And God has made us the head and not the tail. Just turn to the person next to you. You look like the head to me. Come on. Just, just turn to and say, you look like the head to me. So God wanted Israel out of Egypt. And I want you to notice he provided miracle after miracle to help them get out of Egypt. You all know that, don't you? He, while in Egypt, I mean, think about it. God says to Moses, you go to Pharaoh, tell, tell him, let my people go. Moses has this big argument with God. And finally, Moses realizes, I better go do what God said. And so, you know, Mo, you know Pharaoh throws down you know, his snake, and what does God do? You know, his rod and, and turns it into a snake, and what does God do? God says to Moses, throw down your staff. And now, and there were snakes from Pharaoh, but God just with one snake just kills. Moses throws down his staff, and his staff turns into a snake and kills all the Pharaoh's snakes. That's a pretty good miracle. Wouldn't you think? And then, of course, Pharaoh's heart is hard, and Moses is trying to get the people out of where they were into the promised land. And then there were, the, the river was turned to blood. How many think that's a pretty amazing miracle? And then there was boils, and there was frogs, and there was, you know, locusts. And, and then finally the angel of death comes in and kills every firstborn child, but the blood was not on the doorpost. How many know that's a whole lot of miracles that God is doing to, to get the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, because God wanted them to go into the promised land. And God was there for them with miracle after miracle after miracle. How many thank God for miracles? How many believe God for more miracles? But watch what happens. And then, of course, you know the story. They're going through the Red Sea. They're getting out of Egypt. And God again provides another miracle. Moses at the Red Sea. The children of Israel don't know where to go. God says to Moses, throw down your staff. And, 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 and the Red Sea opens up. And they walk through the Red Sea. Miracle. And then God is with them in the wilderness. Miracle after miracle. I mean, their shoes never wore out. Now, my wife would not like that miracle. My wife likes new shoes. If she even gets a slight mark on her shoe, it's time for her to get a new shoe. So I'm not so sure my wife would appreciate that miracle. But their clothes didn't wear out. And think about it. Every day, manna came from heaven. Supernaturally fed. Miracle. Water flowed out of a rock. Miracle. And right when they get to the promised land, as they go in, did you ever notice the miracle stopped? 
Come on, check it out. The miracle stopped. And I want to read to you a verse in the Bible. As they get into the promised land, Exodus 22, verse 30. God says, speaking about them going into the promised land, and God gives them a plan. He goes, and speaking about the enemies that are in the promised land. And I don't have time to talk about all that tonight, but there were seven different if you like, nations, seven different people groups, the Gerbuzites, the Hittites, the Termites. And they had to be driven out. And God says this to them, watch this. I will drive them out, Exodus twenty-two thirty. I will drive them out little, a little at a time, watch this, <clears throat> until your population has increased enough to possess the land. I will be with you, but there's going to come a time when you're going to have to man up when you are strong enough to, if I gave it to you all at once, it'd be too much for you. You wouldn't be able to handle it. So God wants you to go into the promised lands. And God's saying, you're going to take possession of the land yourselves. In other words, the water's not flowing from the rock anymore. The food's not, now you're going to work the land I'm giving you. Now you're going to take responsibility. I'm with you. I'm the God of miracles, and He will always be the God of miracles. But there's a place I kind of feel like prophetically for you as a church. Never stop believing God for miracles, but there's a point where I feel like God's saying, come on, you're now in your promised lands. And now God's saying, come on, step it up. Man up. Let's, let's take responsibility in Jesus' name. Let's not lose sight of the miracle-working God that we serve. Let's not. But here's a, here's a question. What's better? Divine health or a healing? Divine health. Because if you need a healing, it means you're sick. Well, if divine health, and here I am speaking with no voice tonight. But what's better? God rescuing you out of a devastating financial situation or the blessing and the hand and the favor of God consistently over your life. And I think God wants us to get to a place where we go into the promised lands. And God is with us with the miracles. He's with us all the way. But there comes a point when God says, come on, let my word work in you. And here's what I want to share with you as a church tonight is that God is saying he's the God of miracles. He's the God of abundance. And you are are entering into your promised land in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand if you receive it. And God says, I will do it until you've increased enough. Come on, I'll do it until you're able to do it for yourself. Come on. You'll be able to keep every enemy at bay. You'll be able to go into the land that I'm giving to you, and I'm going to give it to you. But until you've increased, I'll be with you until you've increased. Can you see that? Come on. Can anybody see that? And so here's what happens. We become then no longer, and I like what I would call a altar call-driven church, where we have to come to the altar for prayer, for miracles and miracles, where we become the church that goes out into our city, and now we're understanding that God has blessed us and empowered us, and now we're taking what God's done for us out there and transforming our community. Can you say amen? This is not a us for and no more kind of church. This is not holiness is living in a hole kind of church. This is the kind of church that believes God that we are here to change our city and transform our city and let's get past ourselves and get past our facility and understand what the Lord did it. I'll give you all this until you've increased enough to do it for yourself. I am with you and now you go in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? 
Let me give you one more scripture, and I'm going to break this down for you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. And, and, and there's, there's, there's a key word that's a phrase in here. And, you, you know, if you want to be homiletically 100% accurate, it's a little out of context of what the verse is talking about. But I don't think it's out of the context of what the Spirit of the Scripture is talking about. Does that make sense? And Colossians 2, verse 19, and this is what it says. I love this. And it's speaking about people who've lost point of how the whole body works together. The body of Christ works. And it says in Colossians 2, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews and grows as God causes it to grow. And it's speaking about people who just understand the mystery of the body of Christ and how that we are to stay connected to Christ who's the head. And it says they've lost connection. And it says, and they, and God, and it says they've lost, all the ligaments are disconnected. And it says, and, and, and as God causes the body of Christ to grow. So how many know God causes growth? And I'm telling you, sometimes I've discovered some Christians don't like growth. Amen. I remember when our church started to grow 14 years ago. And I remember I'd walk out of the out of the nursery and out of the children's department. And the children's workers that were so used to the same church with the same kids, with the same numbers, with the same people. And I remember all of a sudden there was numbers of people coming. And our children's workers used to say to me, there were so many children in the children's department. Now look at me. They weren't saying, there were so many children. They were saying, there were so many and I could tell they weren't appreciating the growth. And I said, it's only going to get better. In your eyes, worse, but in my eyes, better. And if you can't handle this, we've got to grow with the growth that God causes. Because God wants this church to grow in size, in influence, in changing this community. Amen. And the way to do that is, come on, step into your destiny. God is a God of miracles. But God says, come on, I'm going to, I'm going to do this until you're big enough. And I just feel to tell you, you're big enough. It's time. Let's believe God for transformation in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody get excited. And so when God causes growth, watch this, we need to grow with it. So I want to share with you a few principles that I've learned over my years of pastoring of some areas where I feel like we need to grow with the growth that God causes. Amen. Like, for instance, I remember when I first came, our, 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 our keyboard player, and, and I promise you, I'm not operating on any word of knowledge here now, okay? Or, or some, I, I'm just talking about a leadership principle. Sometimes when I tell this story, people think, oh, what are you trying to say? I'm just trying to give you the illustration that came from us. And so the keyboard player, previously to me, the pastor used to pay the keyboard player to, pay, to play the piano on Sundays. And so, um, and, and then... This, and then that guy moved out and he left. And now there's a new keyboard player just as I arrive. And so he says to me, are you going to pay me to play the piano? And I said, no. I said, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to do that. And he looked at me and says, well, why wouldn't you? I said, well, let's have a look at a few months time and see what you've done with the worship. Because he was appointed as a new worship leader. You have me here? And so I, I had no say. I wish the pastor gave me a say. I wish he didn't appoint this guy when, when it was in such a state of transition. And so I said, I, I, it's very important to me that this church has a growing team of people in it. And so what will be a mark of success is if you grow with the growth that God causes. So if you can build up other keyboard players, if you can build up other singers and musicians, we'll talk. And maybe you might even have a job on our staff. 
But right now, you just, I just need to see that you can grow with the growth that God's causing. And so, you know, and if you're only reason you're coming here is because you get paid, find another church. Now, I understand there's times when churches do pay musicians, and I'm not against it. You hearing me? I just felt like this guy was coming at with this huge expectation. Do you see the difference? And so I, I, after six months, he goes, well, are you going to pay me? I said, how many more keyboard players do we have in our church from six months ago? Not one. And I said, and I can imagine the reason why you wouldn't want another keyboard player. You wouldn't want another keyboard player because then they get paid, not you. So you're the bottleneck. And I asked you six months ago, come on, build a team, and I'll reward that and be fruitful. Come on. And by the way, if you don't think fruitfulness is important to God, do you know the story about the, the, the guys who had the different talents? Okay. What, what did Jesus say to the man who had five talents who reproduced it to another five? He said, well done, you good and faithful. So fruitfulness, watch this, is faithfulness. Faithfulness is fruitfulness. What has, why God called him faithful was because he was fruitful with what God gave him. He multiplied it. And then to the man, what was it? It was given two talents or three talents? What was it? Two talents? He said, and he goes, look, I've given two more. And in and, and, and this parable, Jesus says, well done. He goes, in this parable, he says, because you, you, you are faithful. You've multiplied. You with me here? So watch this now. Faithfulness is fruitfulness. Are you hearing? And then the man who was given one talent, Jesus then in the parable says, you wicked servant. So in other words, a lack of fruitfulness is wicked. It is wicked to still be in the same place you are if there's no fruit coming out of your life. I said to this guy, dude, we need 10 keyboard players. I need 10 drummers. And I'm looking for people who can grow with the growth that God causes to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. And if we're... If we're stressed out about 15 kids in the nursery and, and we'll resent growth rather than say, well, God's causing this growth. How can I grow with the growth God causes? Come on, help me here. Because I feel, and I know, I know there's a bit of a strong word and I've got no voice and I'm trying to be really softly spoken tonight. But the truth matter is God wants us to be fruitful. And fruitfulness, listen, faithfulness is fruitful. And wickedness is a lack of fruitfulness. Amen. And God wants this church to go to a whole nother level in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, so you know, just I just want to share with you tonight, you know, here's a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, don't get left behind. Don't get left behind. Do you realize as we read about the, the God getting Israel out of Egypt and getting them into the promised land, that when the pillar of cloud moved by day and the pillar of fire moved by night, watch this. You had to move when God moved. God did not put it together, an announcement. Okay, in an hour's time, we're going to be, just the, the, the cloud moved and God was teaching him, be flexible, move. Don't get left behind. Because if you got that pillar of cloud, you say, what's the importance of that? That's the only thing that stopped them from dying uh, and gave them protection from the desert, the sun's, the desert sun. And that pillar of cloud was God's protection. But if that pillar of cloud moved, you better move with it. And if the church is growing, you better grow with the growth. And, and if the pillar of fire moved by night, 
Let me tell you something. If you didn't move with the pillar of fire, you'd freeze to death in that desert. And God was teaching the church to be flexible. The people of Israel, don't get left behind. And here's a question I often ask. Do churches leave people or do people leave churches? Because so often we say, oh, that person left the church or that person left the church. I'm not so sure that people leave churches as much as churches sometimes leave people. I think sometimes the church is moving forwards and some people just don't want to grow with the growth God causes. They want to sit. They go, well, the, the pillar can move a fire. The cloud can move. I'm staying where I am. But you will be. God did not wait for them. And a church with vision that's moving forwards, make sure that you don't get left behind. Somebody say, Amen. Watch this, Matthew 12, verse 46. I'm going to read to you about somebody who could have got left behind. Matthew 12, verse 46. And while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, is my sister, and is my mother. And they go, well, Jesus, your mother and your brother and your sister, they want to talk to you. They can't get in. They're outside. And Jesus goes, who's my mother? They said, no, no, it's not who, it's where. And she's outside. And Jesus knew what he was saying. They're all confused. They're going, why are you saying who when we should be where? We told you your mom's outside. And she's out there and you need to go talk to her because she's asked for you to come. And Jesus is refusing to go to his mother. And he teaches something about kingdom culture. He says, who is my mother? Well, no, she's outside. He's not asking where, he's asking who. Who is my brother? They were going, hey, Jesus, we need some family time. We're family. And I need some family. And Jesus was refusing to give in to the family moment. He was going, I'll tell you who family is. Anybody who does the will of my Father. The reason why some people don't grow with the growth, the reason why some people get left behind, is when a church starts to move forwards and starts to accelerate, then I used to love it when I'd be able to have sit down with the pastor and talk with the pastor. And I used to love it when the church was this size, but now it's growing. And what happens is some people get left behind. And I just want to say to you, be a church as you're going into the promised land. God has been with you, but I believe God's saying, come on, now you've increased enough, and now it's time for you to grow with the growth that God's causing. Come on, somebody say amen. Keep serving, keep doing. And what makes you family is doing the will of God. And anybody who's doing the will of God is family. Amen. Number two. And I want to follow on this thought. When I'm good with kingdom culture, number one is don't get left behind. Amen. So grow with the growth that God causes. You got to make sure that you don't get left behind. The church is moving. You move with the church. Amen. And if you don't, you could get left behind. Number two, you've got to be good with kingdom culture. And I want to share, this is how many expect the church, and your pastors do this better than anybody I know. How many expect the church to be, you know, like the church, not just your pastors, but the church, to be a place where you care for people's needs? And nobody is shocked when the church cares for people's needs. We're surprised and disappointed when we don't care for people's needs. You have me here? And, and, and our churches, we've got a great pastoral care department, but, and we believe in word of knowledge. The only time we're ever guilty of not caring for somebody is if we didn't know. 
But once we know, we're going to do what we can to help them. Now, sometimes people's expectations of care is a different story. You have me here? And so, but I'm just about caring. So everybody expects the church. The kingdom culture of church is to care. And the second aspect of kingdom culture is the church should be engaged in the community. Amen. And, and we'd be disappointed with the church that's not reaching out into the community. My wife had it in her heart just before Christmas to bake every school teacher in the city of Virginia Beach. And there's 400, four, no, sorry, 4,500 school teachers in the city of Virginia Beach and just elementary and middle school. And she goes, I want to give them all six cookies. Well, that meant like 24,000 cookies. And so she said to the church, actually, come on, let's believe God. That we're, and freshly, bake, not go to the store and buy them, bake them. And we ended up baking 30,000 cookies and gave every school teacher. Now, can I tell you something? The community loves it when the church engages. Amen? And, and, and we get, you know, we'd be surprised if the church wasn't making a difference in our community. And, and people in the community expect the church to be involved in community. Amen? So nobody's got a problem with that. Nobody has a problem for the church caring. Nobody has a problem with the church engaging and reaching community. But here's the third C. And let me tell you, this one trips up more Christians than anybody I know. It's the corporate side. The corporate side of church. How many would expect the church to actually have a corporate side? I mean, this is a non-profit business. And you would expect that the church is doing the right thing with its finances. Come on. That it's, it's, it's showing openness and accountability and stewardship of the finances. Come on. And there's a corporate side. There ought to be a, a state, there ought to be bylaws and a constitution. But sometimes people don't understand, they don't see the church being that. And they have problems when the church goes down the corporate side. I mean, if you're going to have a church with vision and leadership, there's got to be strategies. There's got to be standards. There's got to be expectations. And there's a corporate side to church that when the church brings the corporate side, some Christians go, where's the care? Where's the community? But let me tell you, I'm shocked when there's not a corporate side to the church. Because if there's not a corporate side, that you look at church history, any move of God where there was a move of God, but there was no corporate structure behind it, leadership, management, organization, that move of God dies out long before it ever should have. Because where ministry giftedness exceeds leadership and management and administration and organization, let me tell you, if that stuff isn't behind it, it won't last. Now, you don't put that in front of ministry giftedness, but it better be backed up with it. So there's standards. I mean, for instance, here's the problem. The church too long, not this church, the other one down the road, but the church too long has run itself like a mom and pop organization. You with me here? Now, when you're running mom and pop, let's just say you have a local, I don't know, um, let me just, you know, you have a, uh, like a subway and you have that business and that's your franchise and you've got your family and you say to your kids well you're doing the afternoon shift and you're the shift and you're doing the evening shift and 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 you know you got all that planned out and and then you know the daughter gets mad because she rings mum and dad and says you know Johnny never turned up for his shift and I had to do his shift as well as my shift well when it's a mum and pop organization they go oh well it's your brother you know what i mean it's family what do you do are we going to fire him He's our son. But how many know if you're in a franchise that's actually not family run, you're in a corporation, and somebody doesn't turn up for their job, you might get warned once. 
You might get one twice, but you will lose your job. And I think sometimes Christians actually have this expectation of the church to be more like the mom and pop, but there's no, there's no excellence in that. Now, I, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not against family. Remember I said about the community and the caring side? We ought to have family. But even Jesus said, who is my family? They that do the will of God. Come on, someone say amen. So when there's a, I mean, for instance, if you've got a, a ministry or a department, I've got to make sure I look back at my notes here. If you've got a ministry or department moving in the direction of the church and, it, and it's not moving in the direction of the church's vision, then you need to be able to challenge that ministry or that department. Come on, someone say amen. I mean, if they're not punctual, if they're not prepared, if they're turning up for rehearsals and there's no, there's no rehearsal strategy, do you know what I mean? You need to say, hey, come on, you can't do it. Turning up a connect group leader that's got no notes. They're just winging it. We're bringing leadership. We're bringing excellence. We're bringing organization. We're, we're, we're bringing, and so, but if you got somebody who's, who's not open to being challenged and not open to have their ministry and what God's come to do to be evaluated and held under a microscope, let me tell you something. That church will stay not where God wants it to be. God's waiting for us to increase till we can do it ourselves. Come on, someone say amen. I remember one time we had one person and there was a certain area in our department in the church and I went and spoke to him. I said, listen, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just you. We need more leaders. We need more volunteers. We're growing. And, and this thing is out, the church is outgrowing that area that you ought to be growing with it. And, and this person used to get so upset and used to cry and get so mad. You're putting so much pressure on me. I said, listen, I want you to still like me in six months' time. Because it was the hospitality department. And I said, listen, before, you used to just do coffee on Sunday morning. And, and after the service, we had coffee. But now the church is growing and there's more need for more hospitality. And if it's just you and faithful six people doing it, you're going to burn out. we got to grow with the growth God causes. And so you got to build more people into the team because the, 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 the needs are going to be greater. But you're not going to be able to, with the team of six people, handle those needs. I want you to still like me in six months' time. And I'm doing this because I love you. And she goes, but these are the six that I trust. And I want anybody else in this department. That's all. And I said, they'll all hate me. Because I can't let you hold the growth of our church as the hostage of your leadership capacity. There's a corporate side. Come on, someone say amen. And I just feel like for you as a church, God's saying, come on, it's not mom and pop. It's the kingdom. And you're good with kingdom culture in Jesus' name. Amen? And so, number three, we got to make sure if we're going to grow with the growth God causes, we can't afford to become prisoners within religious cultures. Everything I'm sharing with you are things I've learned on the journey in, in, in the last 14 years as being the senior pastor of Wave Church. But we can't afford to become prisoners within religious cultures. The main thing is always reaching the lost. Amen? The main thing. And I used to have where people used to love to come forward and have me lay hands on them, and, and, and the paragon would hit them, they'd fall on the floor. But I go, if that doesn't translate into you being different to reach out to lost people, if church for you is all about what you can get out of church, we're not healthy. This is not where we want to stay. We don't want to be an altar call-driven church. I believe in the altar call, and I believe the altar should alter your call. But we got to make sure we don't just, just looking for a thrill me, bless me moment. It's like a guy came up to me. He said, Steve, I didn't get much out of the worship this morning. And I said, sorry, we weren't worshiping you. 
We've got to make sure the main thing. And we can so easily become prisoners within a religious culture. Come on, where it's just us four and no more. And I want to challenge you that I believe the word of the Lord for gates of the city is you've gone in. This is, this is the promised land. This is the thing that God has for you. But God's, get, God's been with you miracle after miracle. But come on now, I'll do it until you've increased enough. Amen. I feel this is a word for you as a church. It's time to increase in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know, where ministry is an idolatry, where we get, we get, well, pastor, what title do I get? I mean, if I serve in this church, do I get a title? No, no. Pastor, how many people can I reach? How can you help me be more successful in my marriage, in my job, where I wear God so much better that I become a witness in my life, in my world, and who God... It's not about the title. It's not about the... I remember one lady, she came up to me, and she goes, Pastor, I just love you, and I just want you to know that I'd be one of the nicest people in this church. And I thought, isn't it amazing she'd say that about herself? And I said, really? She goes, oh, and I just think I should run the whole pastoral care department. I just love people. I just, you know, I've never had a harsh word to say to anybody. And I just think I could, I could head up the pastoral care department. And I said, oh, okay, well, thanks for sharing. And that Sunday morning, as I walked out into the parking lot, here she is abusing people tearing strips off them she didn't see me because she had her back to me and she and and these are people who were here visiting the church for the first time and she was going off at them and I just walked up to her and just tapped her on the shoulder and I said you so look like the person that could run our pastoral care department this was a God encounter right now and I smiled and she died a thousand deaths but can I tell you something for her her whole sense of significance about church was about getting a title and yet her heart was not to you know what I mean she didn't represent the heart it wasn't kingdom culture it was all about what she could do and the title she could get Amen. God wants us to be. Listen, the main thing is reaching lost people. And if we're not doing that, some people who after every Sunday service who'd been in our church would just want to, I want to talk to you, Pastor. And I go, yeah, but I, I'm trying to meet all the new people. And, and I, I can talk to you any day of the week. But there's new people here today, and they're the ones I'm going after. Suggest thou do us likewise. <laughs> and don't get your moment. And, and people get their sense of self-esteem. By, you know, I'm going to be demanding in this moment of a leader. Not just the senior pastor. Do you know what I mean? Can I have some, I need some prayer. And yet the church is there. And you do need prayer. And we'll pray for you. Amen. But there's a time and a place for everything. And if you just make church about what you get out of church and what you, what ministry opportunities you get, I just want to say to you, we've got to keep the main thing. And if we don't, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, reaching lost people. And if we don't, let me just say it to you, we're prisoners within religious culture. Let me put it this way. If everybody in this room, and I'm not trying to throw any heavy trip on anybody, I promise you I'm not, but I want to challenge it. If everybody in this room doesn't have at least three unsaved friends, you're a prisoner within a religious culture. If we're not reaching out, and I don't mean just, I mean, I mean friends, people that we are interacting with, people that we are taking on the journey. And, 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 I, and I pray we all get caught trying to be a witness for Christ. And I've said it before, what, what runs in the Father, walks, what, what walks in the Father runs in the family. I love the fact that I've been caught many times just 
interacting, not just the soul winner on Sundays. A hundred people every week get saved in our church. And I have the privilege of giving the altar call, but this is because I give the altar call. Am I a soul winner? And so I love it when I go to the gym and this guy comes up to me and I'm on the treadmill. And this guy's name's Larry. And Larry, and he's an unsaved guy. You could tell by the way he talked, he was unsaved. And, and he goes, my wife has been to your church. I said, that's great. What's your name? My name's Larry. It's good, Larry. And he goes, and I'm trying to run on the treadmill. And I don't want to have a conversation. What am I, I can't talk and run. You with me here? And I'm, I'm in my workout. I'll talk to you. And he goes, I'm one of the personal trainers here. And I go, great. Now I'm thinking he wants, to be, he wants me to be a client. And, uh, and I'm thinking, all right, he, you know. So finally, uh, and he goes, I've never been to your church. Would I be welcome in your church? And I said, of course you would. And, and he goes, I don't know. I've never been to church. I hate church. I said, that's okay, man. I don't blame you. I don't like a lot of things that goes on in church myself. He looks at me and goes, really? I said, yeah, some of that stuff is just crazy. I said, tell you what, Larry. I said, your wife's been, huh? And this I'm on the trip. Your wife's been? He goes, yeah. I said, have you noticed a difference in her? He goes, yeah, I really have. I said, Larry, why don't you just watch me on TV? I'm on Sunday mornings on TV. Just have a look on the TV show. He goes, I don't like watching TV preachers. I said, oh, well, nice to talk to you, Larry. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't all that interested. And, and I go back to the gym the next day, and there's Larry. And he says to me, he goes, well, my wife really talks a lot about you. She likes you. So that's great, Larry. And, uh, and he goes, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And I'm on the treadmill. I'm going, Larry, I'm just trying to breathe <laughs> on the treadmill. I can't do both. And he laughs. And then he says to me, I'm going to, and he took a bit of a shine to me. And, and, and I said, Larry, why don't you just come and see if you like it? So he did. I saw him again the next week. He goes, I came, I saw, I liked and that Sunday, I was preaching on giving, tithing. And I thought, dear God, of all the Sundays, Larry shouldn't have come. Not that Sunday. Larry, don't come. Now, I wished you didn't. I wished I'd known. And he goes, i got to tell you something. I like the way you preach. He goes, I find money and church offensive. But the way you said it, I like it. I liked what you said. I said, oh, man, I'm glad about that, Larry. He goes, I'm not giving, but I liked it. I said, Larry, do me a favor. Don't, don't give. I don't want you to give. I don't want your money. Don't even care about it. He goes, you're like, well, you're not like most preachers. And I said, well, you know. So I see him next week. He goes, you know, Steve, I've come again. And I like the church. I said, that's awesome, Larry. I said, keep coming. He goes, I'm going to come, but you can never mention my name from the pulpit. I said, Larry, I'd never do that. Next Sunday, Larry's there. See him in the gym. Hey, Steve. I really like your church. You can talk about me if you want to. I said, all right, Larry, you've given me patience. If I see you in church, I'll welcome you. So I'm telling the story about Larry in the gym. And the reason why I'm telling is I'm trying to get a church to understand we all should be doing this. One of our pastors on our staff brings 20 new people to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, without fail. The best soul winners ought to be the leaders in this church. Amen. We shouldn't be so busy that we're guilty of being like the Levite and the priest who, who passed by the Good Samaritan. Because if you're so busy in church, you've got no time for unsaved people, you're a prisoner within a religious culture. Amen? And so I, I talk about Larry. I say, you know, church, I've been talking to this guy, Larry, and his wife's been coming to church. What I didn't know was his wife was about divorcing. He was a chronic alcoholic, and he was dying of liver failure. And so I say, Larry, and then I, I said, are you here, Larry? Larry sticks his hand up, and the whole church tear Larry. And then I give the altar call, 
at the end of the service. And guess who the first person was to raise his hand? It was Larry. Larry died two weeks later. And I'm telling you something. We've got to make sure that we never lose sight. You know, you come and you sit in your, someone's sitting in your seat and you get upset by that, you're a prisoner within a religious culture. The main thing. And don't be thinking, that's right, someone else should be. We should all, every person here, the main thing is the main thing. Come on, somebody say amen. One more scripture and I'm done. I asked your pastor, how long can I go for? And he said, you can go till midnight, but everybody walks out of here at 8.30. So here we go. Watch this. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, this is about a man who'd been laying by uh, the pool. I should break, I, I broke into the story. Let me give you the story. Uh, this man had been crippled for 38 years lying by a pool. And once a year, an angel would come and stir the waters. And whoever got in first to the water after the angel stirred it got healed. You got it? So now let's read the story. Watch this. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now what an insensitive question to ask somebody. I can't believe Jesus would ask that question. Can you? I Really, Jesus? I mean, how insensitive is that? Are you asking a crippled man who is crippled, who's been lying by a pool for 38 years, do you want to get better? Sometimes you need to ask that question. Sometimes you need to ask a question, do you want to grow with the growth God causes? Do you want, do you want to have a kingdom influence? Or, you know, and here is this man, lay, and Jesus asking, do you want to get well? And listen to the response. Oh, listen to the response. Sir, the invalid replied, I've got no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone always gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So here's, here's a couple of thoughts on that scripture as I close. Okay? Just thinking about the will of God for your life individually. Do you want to get better? Do you want to be whole? Come on. Do you, and I'm talking to you individually about your finances, about your marriage, about your health. And then I'm talking to you about a church. Do you want to grow? Come on, do you want to see the Lord get, take you into the promised land and God is a God of miracles? But now he's saying, come on, now you can do this. Now it's your turn. That's why Jesus fell asleep in the boat. He was teaching on faith. And, that, and, and when he fell asleep in the boat, he was going, where is your faith? He was hoping that the disciples could come to a place where they could exercise their authority. Come on, you can do this now. I'm with you, but I'm also wanting to make sure that you can man up. Come on, someone say amen. So, so here's, here's a couple of thoughts, okay? How do I know that, that I'm growing with the growth that God causes? And as we read this scripture, I know it when I don't depend on others to create my success. When my success is not dependent on what other people can do for me. Listen to the man said, Sir, I've got no one to help me. He thought the key to his health, the key to his wholeness, as i got no one to help me. When the moment you think your success in your business, in the moment that your success is continued in your marriage, by what someone else does for you, you'll never know success. Amen. I'm a, my, I, I've got, you know, two sons that live at home. My daughter's already gotten married. And, you know, every now and again, my son borrows my car. And then he loses the car keys. And I, anybody else have this problem? And so I say, Sam, go find my car keys. And Sam will stand in the middle of the house and go, Dad, I can't find them. 
And I say, Sam, you've got to understand something. They will not find you. You have to find them. You have to go look for it. Listen, nothing happens in life unless you make it happen. And if you're always feeling like that your success, if I could just get close to the pastor, if I could just get close to the worship leader, if I could, if I could, you know, if only that business person would give me that job, if only I could, if only my wife, if only my husband, if only my parents, and the moment we start thinking our success is dependent upon what someone else does for us, you'll never know success. Come on, someone say amen. Here's another thought. How do I know if I'm growing with the growth God causes? Just out of the scripture. When I don't blame others for my failures. Listen to what the man said. Listen, I love this. He's got, he goes, sir, listen to this. Firstly, he says, I got no one to help me. But now he says, sir, someone always gets in ahead of me. There are some people who are experts at justifying and explaining why they are the way they are. And he's blaming other people for his lack of wholeness. It's always someone else's fault. It's never my fault. It's someone else's fault. I've got no one to help me. But then he says, listen, there's always someone who's got a better start. There's always someone who gets in ahead of me. And the reason why I'm still crippled is because it's other people's fault. I got no one to help me. And now someone's always getting in before me. And actually, we use that as an excuse for our failures. Come on, someone say Amen. All right, how do I know if I'm growing with the growth that God causes? You know, people say, it's my parents' fault. It's my wife's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. Amen? How do I know when I'm growing with the growth God causes? When I can recognize destructive relationships. Just write that down real quick. I don't have time to develop on it too much. The Bible says, he picked up his mat and he walked. He had to leave, listen to this, the crippled environment. Did you hear me? He had to leave the crippled. The whole environment was crippled people. And Jesus walked up to him and said, you've been here for 38 years. Do you want to get better? Could you ever see yourself being whole? And, and now Jesus says, get up, pick up, walk away from this area. Come on, walk away from the destructive relationships that are keeping you where you are. Negative people. I've discovered hurt people hurt people. Come on, somebody say Amen. And, and, you know, I don't have time, you know, to develop all that. But just to say this real quick, you know, sometimes even in a marriage, you know, uh, you know they, they, the Bible says a man shall leave a father, his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Sometimes there'd be codependent relationships. And rather than work the problem out in the marriage, maybe the, the, the husband goes back to mum and talks to mum rather than work this out with his wife. Now, that's, that's not a good relationship. The Bible says you've got to cut the umbilical cord. Now, you should still honor and have respect and interaction and health and family. But some people, the, the problem in the marriage is the fact that they're part of a destructive relationship. You need to talk to me, not your mother. Somebody who's always been negative about the church and negative about life. You've got to learn to walk away from destructive relationships. How do I know if I'm growing with the growth God causes when my environment doesn't leave me crippled and comfortable? When my environment doesn't leave me feeling good about being crippled and comfortable. Amen? How do I know if I'm growing with the growth God causes when I'm willing to get up? Jesus says, get up, pick up. And walk in Jesus' name. Is this helping anybody? 
Is this helping anybody? I believe you're going into the promised land. I believe the and and, and it's 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 for me. It's like I've just taught you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. They're, you guys are good. I have to ask my praise team to come. You read the moment. Either that or they just can't wait to get out of here and they're ending the meeting. But we'll go at the first one, won't we? We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Come on, is this helping anybody? You know, a destructive relationship. Young person, if you're involved with somebody who's not a Christian, that's a destructive relationship. Walk away from it. Amen? If you've got somebody who's always just having a go at you about why you're in church. Oh, man, when I first got saved, I'm telling you something. I was, I, before I was a Christian, I was a hell raiser. I'm telling you, I was a hell raiser. I would be missing from home for one or two weeks at a time on a drunken binge with my friends, sleeping on the beach, never calling my parents to let them know where I was. And then when I became a Christian and I got involved in church life, guess what my brother did? My brother who used to go on the drinking binges with me. He said, you've got no time for this family anymore. And I said, wait a minute. You're rebuking me for having no time for the family anymore. And he said, but mom and dad and, you know. And I said, I would be missing for a week. You wouldn't know if I was dead or alive. And you never worried about me. But now I'm involved in church. And all of a sudden you have a problem with where I spend my time. And you know what? My brother came to a saving faith in Christ because I just wanted to make sure. And of course, I believe that you've got to have balance in your life. You shouldn't be so involved in church. You don't have time for your family. You have me here? But the truth matter is, he just needed to know, hey, I'm not being part of destructive relationships anymore. I've got to cut off the negative influences and you were a part of that. You have me here? And, I'm going, and I believe with all my heart, one of the things that helped lead him to a place of salvation is I wouldn't let him pull me back to where he was at. I wanted to make sure, come on, Come on, church. He said, wait, he found out I tithed. And I, I'm very, I, I wasn't trying to publicize it. You know, I knew he wouldn't understand it. But he saw me one day, you know, getting my little envelopes and putting my tithe in an envelope. He goes, what's that for? I said, oh, it's for church. And man, he ripped me. My oldest brother ripped me. And today, my brother lives in New Zealand and he's tithing and he's in the house of God. He's saved. Come on, leadership is giving people something to follow. Do you receive that? Leadership is giving people something to follow. Come on. You're, you're out of Egypt. Bert, you're out of Egypt. You're into the promised land. And let's grow with the growth that God causes. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for every person that's here. I thank you, Lord, that you kept my voice. I thank you, Lord, that this was not just a, a, a message that I have just wanted to preach. But, Lord, I believe with all my heart it wants to speak into the very soul of this church. Thank you, Lord, for Brandon and Daniel that are here with us tonight. Let it be refreshing to them. And let this church, Father, grow with the growth that you are causing. Let us be people, Father, who are not just always looking for you to come through. But, Lord, may we increase. And may we go in now and possess the land. And may we do even greater things in the name of Jesus. Amen.